Have you ever had an experience of surprising hospitality? It's a moment where uh, somebody in some way reached out to you, made you feel welcome, or made you feel um, received in a way that you absolutely did not expect. Uh, about a year and a half ago, Krista and I were vacationing in um, Greece and Turkey. And uh, there was a particular morning we had sailed on the ferry from the Greek island of Samos into a Turkish town called Kusandasi, uh, where we had arranged to rent a car. We were going to go get the rental car and then drive uh, into the mountains to the uh, ancient town of Ephesus, where we were going to spend the day touring uh, Ephesus. And so we get out of the ferry in Kusandasi. We walk into the, into the ferry terminal. And the first thing we do is we head straight over to tourist information because we had absolutely no idea where this rental car company was. We had talked to them on the phone and they had assured us that they were within walking distance of the port. So we knew it was close. Um, we thought we'd just get some information from the guy. We, so we walk over and we said, listen, we've rented a car uh, wondering whether you can help us find the place. The guy says, yeah, sure. He says, what's the company? And so we pulled out our confirmation we showed it to him and he says uh he says, i've never heard of that car rental company and we said well what about the street address where where is that and he says i i don't know where that street is we said okay uh do you have a map that you could sell us or give us or something so we can just find it on the street and we can walk there because we know it's within walking distance and he said well the, kind of the only map i have is this tourist map and it'll show you where the market is in the museum but it doesn't even have all the streets on it I said, well, that's, I'll take it. I guess we'll figure out, we'll try and figure out how to make it work, right? So we walk out of the terminal and out onto the, the boardwalk that runs along the water. And Chris and I are now walking down the boulevard and we are like tourists beyond tourists, right? She's pulling the, the bags and I've got the, the map open and we've got the, the furrowed, you know, kind of tourist look. Like we have no idea where we are right now. And we're doing a lot of um, really earnest talking with each other. There's a lot of pointing going on and looking around as we're walking down the boulevard, right? And we fall in step right behind this guy who's talking on his cell phone, his cell phone. And he looks over his shoulder and he sees us standing behind him. And you could tell, I don't understand Turkish, but you could, he gave the guy on the other end of the phone, the Turkish equivalent, I gotta go, hold on. And he hung up the phone and he turns around and he looks at Kristen and me and he says, excuse me, he says, how can I help you? And we said, well, I, you know, I appreciate you asking. I said, we're kind of looking for our car rental company and we don't know where it is. We don't know how to get there. And they said that it's within walking distance, but we haven't been able to find it. And we're not even sure we're going in the right direction. And he says, okay, okay, okay. He says, uh, do you have the confirmation? So I gave him the sheet and he says, all right. He says, I don't know where this is. But he said, there's a phone number. He pulls out his phone and he gets on the phone and he starts talking really fast in Turkish. You know, they're going back and forth and back and forth. And he says, okay, hangs up the phone. He gives me back the piece of paper. He says, walk with me. And he starts walking down the boulevard to like the closest intersection. He presses the button. We wait. Traffic clears. We cross the street. And as we get across the street, he grabs by the shoulders. He, he positions me on the street corner. He puts his, my bags right beside me. He says, you and you stand here. Your car will come around that corner in three minutes. Welcome to Turkey. And he turns around and disappears into the crowd. It was like the most amazing, like it was such a simple thing, but it was so 
for us this amazing thing that a perfect stranger would take notice of our situation and actually interrupt whatever business he was doing to intervene so positively for us, make, all, make the arrangements for us, and then just kind of walk off. Like years later, we still talk about this as one of the most amazing, Turkey to us is the most open, hospitable, loving place that we've ever visited. And like 90% of that is because of the friendliness and helpfulness, because the hospitality showed to us by this one guy who took a moment out of his life to love two perfect strangers who were completely lost in his hometown. And somewhere in the heart of that moment, is exactly the kind of community that we want to become. Since the fall, for the last six months, we have been having a conversation about what it would look like for our community to become the kind of place that loves people beyond belief. That's been the phrase we've been using, love beyond belief. At the core of the idea of love beyond belief is is the idea that that the Christian life is really quite simple. It's not easy, but it's uncomplicated. In Galatians chapter 5 or 6, the Bible summarizes the Christian life this way. It says, for in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the whole thing. That's the whole deal. That's what it means to live a Christian life. The Bible says if you want to be a follower of Jesus, then the only thing that counts is that on the one hand, you have faith. That the Christian life is about putting faith in Jesus. It's about trusting in Jesus to to forgive the ways that we've messed up as people and trusting Jesus to help change us into the kind of people that we want to become, the kind of people God wants us to become. It's trusting in Jesus, that that living in the Jesus way is the fullest, most satisfying way that you could possibly live. And, And the Jesus way, according to the Bible, is the way of love. That it's, it's receiving love from God and then living a love for God and a love for yourself and a love for the people around you so that together as a community, you and we all can love the world. That's what it means to live the Christian life, to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him enough to live in the Jesus way, which is the way of love, faith expressing itself in love. And what we've been realizing and talking about as a community is that we've been thinking about the fact that it is just way easier to love people who are just like me. Now, when I think about what it looks like for my faith to express itself in love, that comes most naturally when I'm dealing with relationships with people who are like me, who are like me demographically, who are like me socioeconomically, who are like me ethnically, who are like me in terms of ability, who are like me in terms of sexual orientation, who are like me in terms of faith and religion, who are like me in all the kinds of ways that we label people and brand people and box people and categorize people, just people. The more labels we share, the easier it is in relationship for me to express my faith in Jesus by loving you. That's just, that's true of all of us, that it is way harder to love people who are different than you. And the more different they are, the more difficult often it is to love. And so this whole idea of love beyond belief is what if we could become the kind of community that expresses unreserved love for everybody, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they're like, no matter what labels they apply to themselves or labels others would apply to them, no matter what, including no matter what they believe and how they live their faith. We just are a community that loves in a way that transcends all of our differences and disagreements. 
And so in the fall, we spent five weeks in a series called Love Beyond Belief. And if you weren't here, you can go on the website and you can, the, the new website, and you can um, go and review that series. You can watch it again for the first time or whatever. Um, just, but we're, that's the conversation we're picking up this morning. What would it look like to become the kind of community that loves people beyond belief? And we're picking up the conversation in this series by talking about five hard attitudes. In the fall, we talked kind of the external dynamics. Um, this, uh, we're talking about the internal dynamics, the hard attitudes that have to be in place if we're going to become this kind of community. And the hard attitude that we're talking about this morning is the hard attitude of hospitality. First, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. The, the writer of Hebrews, as he brings his letter to the close, says, I want you to remember that it is your sacred duty to show hospitality to strangers. It, this part of the Bible is actually written in Greek. And the interesting thing about the Bible in Greek, this word hospitality in the Greek is actually two words put together. The one word means love and the other word means stranger. Hospitality is to love someone who is a stranger. To love someone who is strange to you. To love somebody who falls outside of the circle of family or close friend. To love somebody who is a, not a part of your tribe. That's what a stranger is. The, the word in Greek actually, stranger actually means a, a foreigner or an outsider. Someone who is definitively a, not a part of your people. But it, it, it kind of accrues these other extended meanings. It means somebody who's different. And actually beyond that, it means somebody who's weird to you. Somebody whose behaviors and beliefs and actions that you just don't understand. Even beyond that, it sometimes means somebody who's distasteful to you. Somebody that you actually experience some level of revulsion towards. And even at the most extreme, it can actually also be a synonym for enemy. Um, actually, some of the ancient languages don't even have a word for enemy. They just use this word, stranger, because the cultural assumption is if somebody's different than me, if somebody's not a part of my family or circle of friends, if they're not a part of my tribe or the people that I am a part of, if they're a stranger and an outsider to me, then they're my enemy. And what the writer of Hebrews says, I don't want you to forget, as those who follow Jesus, that it is your sacred duty to love the stranger. It's your sacred duty to open your home and your heart and your life to somebody, to people who are outsiders, to your people who are different than you, who are weird, people who are even distasteful, and even your enemies with whom there's antagonism. Your role is to open your heart, your life, and your home to those kinds of people. That is a sacred duty that you hold. And it doesn't matter who they are or where they come from. In, in Greek culture, see, it, in back in the ancient world, there was no such thing as a Motel 6, right? So you're traveling, and it's nighttime. Nobody travels at night because it's just not safe. It's nighttime. You're traveling, and you're in a part of the country where you don't have any family, and you don't have any friends. You don't have any connections whatsoever. The only way that you could find a place to stay is to go to the city gates of the, of the closest town and go and petition the elders sitting at the city gates for a place to stay. Just ask them whether they can billet you with a total stranger. And they'll assign you to a home and someone will walk you there and you knock on the door and the host opens the door and his 
sacred duty of hospitality is to welcome you into his home. Which means giving you water to wash your feet and to wash your hair, giving you oil for the kind of a freshen up, and then to greet you with a kiss and lavish you with compliments to make you feel how honored the host is that you would stay in their place for the night. And then their responsibility was to serve you this incredible meal that was literally more than they can afford in order to, to let you know just how loved and cared for you are. And here's the thing, the host is not a, even allowed to ask your name or your place of origin until after you've eaten. It's a symbolic way of saying, I don't care who you are and I don't care where you're from. You are welcomed and loved. You are cared for and protected in my home. I am opening my home and my heart and my life to you and it doesn't matter who you are. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to remember that your sacred duty is to love the stranger that way because you're a follower of Jesus and that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus did. That's how Jesus lived. Um, I listened to somebody say recently that if you came to the Jesus story with no presuppositions whatsoever, you didn't know anything about Jesus, you didn't know anything about his life, you didn't know anything about how he ended, how he died, how he died and whatever, you just knew nothing about Jesus and you came and read the story of his life out of one of the books in the, in the Bible, that one of the responses you would probably have to the Jesus story is, man, this guy eats out a lot. Like he eats with people all the time. He's constantly sitting down and having a meal. In fact, over the course of his ministry, Jesus eating with people kind of becomes a metaphor for the whole thing that Jesus is here to do. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and sinners, according to the religious establishment, those are the outsiders. Right? They're not a part of the religious tribe. They're the ones who are different, whose beliefs, whose lives are weird and even distasteful. And in fact, they, the religious crowd, generally consider the tax collectors and sinners to be enemies of good, upstanding religious people like them. They were antagonistic to moral decency. And yet they said, I can't believe this guy, Jesus, he keeps welcoming these people into his home. It's not even that Jesus would eat in their home, which Jesus did often. It, what the text says is that Jesus was welcoming them into his home. That it was Jesus who was opening the door when there was a knock. And it was Jesus who was washing their feet and washing their hair and anointing their head with oil to help them freshen up. It was Jesus greeting these irreligious people with a kiss and showering them with compliments and, and falling all over himself trying to communicate to them how honored he was that they would come into his home and then it was Jesus who was feeding them with this lavish meal and inviting them to sit at his table in an offer of friendship and trust and peace as a way of saying to them you are now a part of my tribe you're my people now it was Jesus who insisted throughout his entire public life to open his home and his heart and his life to the stranger 
to the outcast, to the one who was different and weird, to the one that society treated with distaste and disdain and disgust as enemies of everything that was good and decent and true. Those were the people to whom Jesus opened his home and his heart and his life and said, you are my people now. And the writer of Hebrews says that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to we say this from time to time. What do followers of Jesus do? They follow Jesus. You're going to follow Jesus and live a lifestyle of hospitality, of love for the stranger. So what does that mean? What does that look like to live a lifestyle of hospitality? Well, Henry Nowen, in his book, Reaching Out, says that there are uh, two dynamics, two practices of hospitality. The first practice is this. He calls it the practice of receptivity. You could call it the practice of invitation. You could call it the practice of openness. The practice of conscious inclusion. It is the practice of living a life that is open to involving and including the stranger in your midst. To inviting them in. In fact, uh, we just read out of Luke 15, the previous chapter, Luke 14. It's a story about Jesus eating dinner at somebody's house. Surprise, surprise. It's verse 12, it says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the, lie, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, here's the kind of attitude I want you to go through life with. When you throw a luncheon, when you have a party, when you're defining your social circle, when who, who is going to be a part of your life, is that inner circle of your life, and who's not going to be a part. He says, don't draw the circle around your friends and your your neighbors and your family, your rich, you know, guy down the street or whatever. Don't, don't construct your social circle in a way that gives priority to those people. Instead, intentionally, consciously construct your social circle in as diverse a way as possible in order to include the kind of people who are often forgotten and pushed to the side who are left out and treated like outsiders by everybody else. Include the people who get pushed away, treated with disgust and disdain by everybody else. Make your life about a proactive openness to inviting people in to your home and your heart and your life. People um, who would normally lie outside of your circle of inclusivity. Um, to live that way, proactively inviting the stranger in, it requires a shift in our mentality, in how we look at people, actually. Um, because Jesus is saying, you got to stop looking to people who are the same as you. Demographically, socioeconomically, the same as you ethnically, or the same as you by their ability or sexual orientation or religion or 
age or whatever it happens to be. You, got, you have to look beyond the labels of the people who are the same as you because when, when all you do is invite the people who are the same as you into your circle of inclusivity, basically all you're doing is you're, you're looking at people, labeling them, uh, Jesus says, according to the value that they can provide to you, the way they can enhance your position and your privilege and your power and your status and your standing, you're, you're kind of looking at the people around you and evaluating them according to the value they can add to your life. And what Jesus says is, what I want from people who follow me is a, a mentality of hospitality, which turns that whole kind of way of viewing people on its head. And instead of applying labels to people so we can evaluate them according to the value they add to us, Jesus says, I want you to ask the opposite question. I want you to ask yourself the question of what value you have to offer to people who may have none in the eyes of you know, the surrounding community. What, the ways you can leverage your power and position and privilege, your standing and status in the community to, to help um, bring people in who normally get pushed to the outside. He says, I want you to live with this attitude of open inclusivity, of inviting people in who are different and weird and even distasteful and maybe even antagonistic to you. Um, and by the way, total aside, but you don't invite them in because you're hoping to fix them. That's not Jesus' point. You're not inviting people into your home and into your heart and your life because, because you're trying to fix them, because you're trying to change them. Henry Nowen, in his book, he brings that up. He, he says this. He says, hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Now it says you, you, don't, you don't invite people into your life because you want to change them, because you're trying to change their mind or you're trying to change their behavior or you're trying to change their beliefs. You don't invite people into your home and into your heart and your life because you're trying to change them so that they'll be more like you. They'll believe more like you. They'll behave more like you. You invite people. He says hospitality is primarily a free space. You're inviting people into your home and into your heart and into your life. And you're creating a space where they experience the freedom just to be the people that they are. The freedom to explore, to ask questions, to search for answers. The freedom to work out their own faith in their own time, in their own way, for their own relationship with God. So that God can guide them in the way that God wants them to go. You're giving them the freedom to be themselves in a space where there is no condemnation, no coercion, and no judgment on who they are. I, somebody posted this week a quote from Maya Angelou. I'm going to get it totally wrong. But, it, but it, the heart of it was, everybody longs to go home to be in a place where they can be themselves without judgment. That's hospitality. Inviting people into that free space to be themselves where there was no agenda on, on your behalf to try and fix or change them to turn them into someone who looks more like you so that you can be more comfortable with them in your space. 
That's not hospitality. Hospitality is the art of reception that opens our home and our heart and our life to people and invites them in and just allows them to be themselves and to be on the journey that God has them as they discover, as they work out their own salvation in their own way. Now, some people struggle with this, right? Because they say, well, that makes it seem like then I'm not allowed to be myself. I'm, I'm, I have to bite my tongue. I have to withhold my own opinions. I can't, you know, I, I have to just let them be and um, I'm not allowed to talk about what I believe, what I think. And, and Henry Nouwen says that's absolutely not true. The second practice of hospitality is the practice of confrontation. The practice of reception invites people in. The practice of confrontation, it, it, the reception is about giving someone the freedom to be who they are in your space. The practice of confrontation is you accepting the freedom to be who you are in their space. And what hospitality does is it brings two people together, each one of whom is being free to the, be the people that God has created them to be. And when they are free to be who they are and you are free to be you who you are and you're sharing the space of hospitality together, those two beings confront each other. And it's in that space where who you are and who they are come into contact with each other. That's where the dialogue happens. That's where God does his work. Henry Nouwen says, that's where the change takes place. But it's not the you changing them or the them changing you. It's the change that surrounds all of you. As you invite people into your space with the freedom to be who they are without coercion, condemnation, or judgment, and you live in the freedom of who you are, um, it's in that space of those two lives coming together that the change happens. And I've never seen this lived out more poignantly than in the life of my friend Jeff. Jeff told me a few years ago that he had come to a place where he recognized in his spirit that he lived with certain prejudices against the LGBT community. Um, in, the, in the spectrum of different and weird and distasteful, whatever, he said he would have been right around the distasteful place. And he knew that God was pressing in on his heart saying, you, you have to deal with this. And so what Jeff did is Jeff volunteered his time at an organization where the role that he was able to play was to actually become the personal driver for an elderly HIV positive gay man. Every other week, Jeff would show up at his home and pick him up and he would take him to doctor's appointments and he'd take him downtown, he'd take him to the mall, he'd take him grocery shopping. They, they just spent an inordinate amount of time together as Jeff drove him around and helped the guy get all of his stuff done. And Jeff said at first he was incredibly uncomfortable in the presence of this elderly HIV positive gay man and he said, I'm, he said the guy knew that I was an evangelical Christian. I'm sure he was equally uncomfortable with me. But they created a space of no coercion, no condemnation, and no judgment, where each one of them was free to be the people who they are. And Jeff said, as they drove around in that car together, they got to know each other. As they got to know each other, they began to understand each other. And as they began to understand each other, they began to love each other. Jeff said at one point, this guy invited him to lead a, to co-lead a support group with other HIV positive gay men, which 
Jeff said if he thought he had been uncomfortable at the beginning in relationship with this gentleman, he said the group was just, he said these guys were flamboyant and open and flirty and, and at times inappropriate. And he said it was, it was really uncomfortable for him. But as he went week after week and entered into this space to be himself, And to create a space in his spirit to open his heart and his life to this community of men where he just allowed them to be themselves. And those he and they came into contact with each other and those lives connected with each other. Jeff said, I honestly don't know whether God used me in any way to change them. He said, but I do know that God used them in powerful ways to change me. And honestly, I think that's what the writer of the Hebrews means when he says that some people practicing hospitality have practiced hospitality with angels even though they didn't know it. The word angel, it's hard to know how to read that because the word angel in Greek just means a messenger. And in religious context, it means a messenger of God. And then oftentimes in religious context, it's a supernatural messenger of God, an angel, right? And It's hard to know necessarily what the writer of Hebrews intended, but whatever he intended, what he meant to say was, it's in that space of hospitality, of opening your home and your heart and your life to love the stranger, the outsider, the one who's different and weird and even distasteful and antagonistic. As we open our heart and our home and our life to love people like that, to invite them into the freedom of our spirit just to be themselves as we enter into relationship with them in the freedom of us being who we are, it's in that space that God shows up. In unexpected ways. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, when you are uh, entertaining strangers, he says, you are entertaining me. That's where Jesus shows up. It's in the practice of hospitality that you get to live in the presence of Jesus. And that's the kind of community that we want to become. And I don't know what that next step is for you. I doubt very highly it's a step like my friend Jeff and taking a big leap like that. Maybe it's something a lot simpler. Maybe it's something a lot more like my Turkish friend who was actually just going through his day and living his life with his eyes open to love and to help. Not just people who were like him, who were a part of his tribe, but keeping his eyes open for outsiders, for strangers, for people who were different and maybe even weird and distasteful. I don't know whether he wanted us in his country or not. But he lived his life with his eyes open and took the opportunity to practice the art of receptivity and to invite us into his heart and into his life and to love us as strangers in the spirit of hospitality in this incredibly simple act. Maybe it's something a little bit more like what my friend Kevin is living through. Kevin is a guy who practices hospitality all the time. He's one of the hosts that we have at the uh, cafe in our St. Catherine's location. He hosts a men's group uh, at the church on Wednesday mornings. And just recently, Kevin got his own place and he began to host people in his home. He began to host his life group and has been 
telling us about how he's been meeting God and how God has been growing and stretching him in the act of, of living a life of hospitality. I'd love for you to hear Kevin's story. So check out the screen. 